Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Most of my pictures are really fuzzy today, so it's not your eyes. Just, just letting you know that. So, so what, what, is the, what is this? It's a tulip. What does it represent? Calvinism. Right? The five points of Calvinism. So it's the, I don't know, is it an acronym or an abbreviation? I don't know. But it's, it's an acronym. Thank you. T-U-L-I-P. Total depravity, um, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace. And what's the P stand for? Perseverance of the saints. Now, here's my question. Wouldn't it just be great... If, we, if the P stood for perpetually blissful, wouldn't that be great? So God's irresistible grace draws us in. We commit our lives to Christ by faith. We come to him and then we have perpetual bliss. It's not what it is. It's perseverance for sure. So we've been using the, at least I have been using the um, I guess the verbiage of the already, but not yet, a lot in this class. So we are already justified by grace through faith. Our eternity is secure if we are in Christ. But we are not yet, what? Fully glorified. We're kind of in this intermediate state, aren't we? We're kind of in this intermediate state of sanctification. We are growing in God's grace for sure. And I don't know about you all. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's a, it's a struggle. It's a battle. So everyone who is in Christ Jesus living the Christian life can say, it's not easy. And if you think it is easy, either you're lying or you're not a Christian. That's just the truth. Jonathan Edwards uh, said this in one of his sermons on, on the Christian pilgrimage. He said, the way to heaven is ascending. We must be content to travel uphill. I'll pause for a second. Um, I remember J. Vernon McGee many years ago, if you know who he is, you know, a southern Oklahoma draw preacher. But, um, but he, he said, he said, um, he said, if, you're, if your Christian life is easy, you're going downhill. You're coasting, basically. So anyway, Edwards sort of says, we must be content to travel uphill, though it be hard and tiresome, and contrary to the natural bias of our flesh, we should follow Christ. The path that he traveled was the right way to heaven. We should take up our cross and follow him in meekness and humility of heart, in obedience and charity, diligence to do good, and patience under affliction. Now, if, if all of that is easy to you, then we need to talk. We need to talk afterward because I want to know how it's easy. Well, you know, Jesus himself had these words to say. In his, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So if you're living the easy life, perhaps 
you're on that, that road to destruction. Jesus then went on to say, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to, to life and those who find it are few. So later on in Matthew, when Jesus was offering up signs of the end of the age, here's something else he said. He said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So here's some of that perseverance of the saints. What does Jesus say? He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is part of that process that we are in, in that intermediate state. So let's, let's bring it a little bit closer to home. So how many are married in here? Okay, so... Is that easy? I think we all kind of had that sort of dream going in, right? This is going to be easy. This is just perpetually blissful. This is wonderful. This is the greatest thing ever. And that probably lasted how long? Then you, after, you know, you get married, honeymoon's over, you live together, and suddenly you find out that he or she doesn't put the, tube, the, 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 the cap back on the tube of toothpaste, ever. Or maybe squeezes it from the middle. Can you imagine that? Seriously, or, 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 you know? So you have two sinners coming together. And, and I think what we can say is that oftentimes, it's not always just pure enjoyment, is it? Sometimes it's endurance. It really is. Yes, Rick? Um, I, I don't know chapter and verse to support this, but I believe it's down. I believe it's down. I believe it's going to be down. So um, here's, a, here's another, I guess, example. How many of you, and I don't know if there's any, but how many of you in, in here have been here since the beginning of Faith Bible Church? Raise your hands. Okay, Marilyn. So anyway, back to the day school days, I, I guess, is where, where, where it started. So a few of you. Was that easy? Was that, oh, we got this great church plant going. Oh, everything's just so perfect and wonderful. Sometimes it's just sticking it out, isn't it? I've been a part of a church plant for, for a few years. And it's endurance, isn't it? It is running the race with endurance for sure. So what we can say is this, is that the Christian life is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint of heart. It is war. That's what it is. It is war. And we have to take that kind of mindset. We are are not at peacetime in the Christian life. We are absolutely at war. So in a moment, we're going to look at how our union with Christ and how Jesus' command to abide in him in John 15, will be a great help for us for our journey home. So before I get to John chapter 15, I wanted just maybe to provide a little bit of a backdrop. Um, In real time, not so much now, but in the time uh, of Jesus and his disciples. So 
His disciples were walking with him and had been walking with him for quite a while, quite a while, hadn't they? They'd been walking together. And so what was the disciples' perception of why Jesus came? To be king? Right. And wipe out the Romans. He's, he, they were looking for really some spectacular demonstration that Jesus was going to have. And he, at that point, was going to declare that he was the king, that he was the Messiah. And what did they want out of that? They wanted a position in that kingdom, didn't they? They were arguing and fighting over it. So that was their mind. And, and we see in chapter 12 of, of John that there's this thing called the triumphal entry. And I'm sure that didn't help their perception of why Jesus came either. You know, so, so here is this mindset of the disciples. They've been with him. There's this, if you want to call it, there's this honeymoon of sorts. They've been walking near physically to, to Jesus Christ. He's telling them why he came. They're not hearing it. Their perception is wrong. But by John chapter 15, he's, he's ready to change their minds a little bit and tell them what it's going to take to persevere and to endure all the way to the end. In fact, he told them that he's not going to be heralded as Israel's king, but yet he's going to be hated, and so will they. And so will they. John 15, 18 says this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. That probably, I don't know if it burst their bubble at that point, but maybe their bubble was pretty calloused. Probably was. So, but anyway, this, this is what Jesus, that's a little bit of a backdrop for John chapter 15, where he, he tells them, who he is and what they are to do. So, in John chapter 15, Jesus is giving the disciples um, a demonstration of what it's going to take to persevere all the way to the end, to live fruitful lives, and to to maintain fellowship that they have had with him in these difficult days that, that were soon to be coming. And there were difficult days coming for sure. So very soon, Jesus was no longer physically going to be with them, was he? He was going to be taken up into heaven. He was going to ascend into heaven. And we talked about that last week. But he would remain with them spiritually. And in that spiritual relationship, that is what Jesus is saying. This is what will sustain you for this uh, race. So in their union with Christ, they were going to continue to have fellowship with him. So, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John wrote down some very helpful words. Like I said, John 15, so we'll, we'll take a look at that uh, here in just a second. But before I read it, does anybody have any comments or questions? Okay. Here's John chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8, we'll, and we'll, we'll read those. Uh, okay. I am the true vine... And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, and he, uh, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So, what I want us to look at in this, in this chapter is that there are three distinctions that are made in here. So the first one is that Jesus calls himself what? The, the vine, the true vine. Who, who is the vine dresser? The Father. And who are we? Who are believers? We're branches. So those are the distinctions that I want to draw here. Um, and then what I want to do is kind of look at, at four points. So on your handout, you kind of see the four points already, but I'll, I'll go over them just in case here. So the first point that we want to look at is what is the meaning of I am the true vine? The second thing is who are the true branches? The third thing is what does it mean to abide in Christ? And the fourth thing is how do we abide in Christ? So that will be uh, the four points that we'll, we'll kind of cover today. So first question, what is the meaning of the true vine? So the imagery is this uh, of the vine. First of all, the Old Testament speaks of national Israel being the vine. It speaks of national Israel being the vine. So in Psalm chapter 80 and verse 8, what we see is you brought a vine out of Egypt. Now, we remember God rescued the captive Israelites, brought them out of Egypt. Here, in the psalmist is calling them a vine. And you drove out the nations and planted it. I think presumably that would mean in, in the promised land of, of Canaan. But by Isaiah chapter 5, we see this vine has gone wild. And it's producing stinky fruit, really. Bad grapes is what we see. And we see that, we see that verified also in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah wrote this. Yet I planted you a choice vine, as we see from Psalm 80. He, they were planted, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? And uh, again, talking about this, this bad fruit, it, I think that it, it means that it, it smelled really bad. And if you read the Old Testament, it doesn't take long to know that they were not a fruit, a good fruit producing people, were they? So, so this is a little bit of the backdrop of Jesus's words to the disciples. So they would have been familiar from, as Jews, 12 disciples were, were Jews. They would have been familiar with this, presumably. And not only that, at that time in Israel, um, their, their currency, actually their coins, had a vine on them. So they would have been familiar with that. This is, 
I told you fuzzy pictures. Wait till you see the next one. It's even worse. But this is a picture of, of some ancient Jewish coins here, uh, presumably from Jesus' time. And what you see, see that leaf there, that is the leaf of a grapevine. So, again, we, we see the vine language used. And um, also, in the entrance of Herod's temple was this ornamental filigree that went up. I, I don't even know. That's awful. But, you know, it's, I, I, I was kind of facing a dilemma. Should I show this picture or not? So I thought I'd show it. But up the columns there, you see the vine being wrapped up there. This was the most exquisite part of Herod's temple as well. And this was made of pure gold, this filigree that went up. And uh, supposedly, it was worth like $12 million. Very, very expensive and costly. So this language of vine, these men would have been familiar with when he said it. Okay, so Jesus says to them, I am the true vine. So let's take that other phrase now. So we were talking about the vine, but what about the I am? What, is, what does he mean by I am? Deity. He's deity. And I think there are seven, I counted seven times where he calls himself I am, much to the chagrin of the Pharisees especially. They did not like him calling himself, and they knew what he meant by that. But we see these seven times that um, Jesus calls himself the I am in John's gospel. So he says, I am the bread of life in in chapter 6. I am the light of the world in chapter 8. I am the door of the sheep in chapter 10. And also in chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in verse, or chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we see this, this phrase that he's using to the disciples. He said, I am. He's saying, I'm deity. And here's my description of that deity. He's saying, I am the true vine. And so what does he mean by the true vine? Does anybody have a guess? It's a way of life. Okay. Connected to the Father. Lisa, I think you had your hand up or somebody back there. Yeah, he's the source of nourishment for life and strength. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's the one thing that we can say about the the old vine, the the old the the Old Testament Israelites? What can we say that they didn't do? Pardon? They didn't. They couldn't please the Father. Because they didn't produce what? They did not produce fruit. Jesus is saying, I am, so I am deity, I'm the source of everything, I am the true vine, and you will produce fruit. You will produce fruit, I think is what he's trying to say.
Is this in opposition to the Old Testament vine? I, I don't know that it's in opposition. Pardon? He is the perfect example. Right. I, I don't know. Let's ask, let's ask Siri. I, I don't know, honestly. Yeah, it, it could be. The great I am, it could be. So anyway, not only was he going to fulfill God's promise of having a fruit producing people, but he was also perfect. He was excellent. The, the Old Testament Israelites, they were not. They were fallible. That was part of God's plan. They were fallible. The true vine, Jesus Christ. So as the true vine, Jesus provides the branches with life and nourishment, as we've heard. Thank you, Lisa. He is the source of life and strength for the branches, and the branches are completely dependent upon the vine for life and strength. So as the I am, Jesus also has the power and dominion to do anything he pleases. And this is what he's saying he's going to do. So we also see the Father is intimately involved here as well as the vine dresser. Okay, So we see him intimately involved here. I think next week we will actually talk about the Father being the vine dresser. So we're not going to cover that today. Uh, don't hold me to that, but, you know, maybe I think that's probably what we're going to do. So, um, so as we've said, this metaphor of a vine and a branch is, I mean, I may argue that it's the most commonly used illustration to, or metaphor to describe our union with Jesus Christ, that he provides us with life and nourishment he is the giver of that. He is the source of that. He is, he is all of this. So going back to, um, I, think, I think our first week, I, I think I showed you this, this picture right here. And in this picture, what we see is, I can't see it, so the, the scion and the rootstock. And this is, what is this called, Tom? Grafting. It's called grafting. So, so as true believers, we are grafted into Christ. Just like this, Sion is engrafted into the rootstock by the Holy Spirit through faith. This is how we are attached to the vine. Yes, Jason. Somebody want to help me here? Uh, I, I think this is how I would say it right now. I think this is just simply showing that everyone who is in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, is engrafted into Christ. Okay? So what you're talking about is Jew and Gentile. That's a whole, that's a whole other illustration in, in reality. One body. One body in Christ. Yeah. New creatures. That's right. We're all new creations in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. 
Romans 11, right? Right. Yeah. Jew and Gentile, one man, one body. Yes. Now we're focused on Christ. Absolutely. But I would say in the Old Testament, they were focused upon the coming, the promised Messiah as well, for sure. Christ is saying, I am that fulfillment. So, okay. Settle down. That's right. I'm just kidding. Okay, so this is what it means that Jesus is the, the true vine and the I am. So that's, that's our first section. So does anybody have a question so far? Laying that foundation of who Christ is saying that he is. He is the true vine. He is the true vine. So who are the branches? That'll be our, our next question to look at and answer. So as branches in Christ, there are two things that Jesus wants us to know here. And the first thing is our position in Christ as branches. And we'll see that in verses 1 through 3. And then... Our practice as branches in Christ. That sounds a little bit like what? The indicative and the imperative. So Paul did not have a corner on that, did he? Paul learned it from Jesus himself. Okay, so verses 1 through 3, we're going to look at our position as branches. Okay, 15, 1 through 3. I am the true vine and and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Okay, so how do we know if we're one of the branches? We bear fruit. How do we know if we're not one of the branches? We don't bear fruit. That one's pretty easy, okay? So, uh, what, what is fruit? What? The ultimate growth of the plant. Yes. What is that ultimate growth of the plant in the, in the life of a believer? Lisa? That is a, a form of bearing fruit. Yes. Good works. Are being like Christ? Yes. Ron? Pardon? Spreading the word. Spreading the gospel seed would be a yes. Kathy? A reflection of the Father? Yep, absolutely. I, I don't think that Galatians 5 would be, out, uh, would be wrong to use here either. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We'll see some of those actually listed by Jesus here. Rick? Pardon? Useful for holy purpose. Absolutely. So I I think we can say that that fruit is a change of character. How's that? We, We 
Out with the old, we are new creations in Christ Jesus, and we are being more and more conformed to his image in a multiple and variety of ways. So, I always try to avoid controversy when I talk, but I don't always. So there's a little prepositional phrase in here that some denominations might find a little controversial. What do you think that it is? Nope. Nope. All right. It is, it is in me. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. It, uh, uh, how'd the branch get there in the first place? Well, yes. That's right. You fleshed it out. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's over my head right now. I'm try- I can only deal with this prepositional phrase, so. <laughs> anyway, and I only have, yeah. So, every branch in me, there are some denominations that would hold out and some doctrinal beliefs that would say, see, you were once in Christ, and now you're not. So this might imply that you could lose your salvation. Right? Now, Thankfully, in, in Christianity, we say we, we live by something, at least at this church, and I believe every, every doctrinal system ought to do this. We live by the analogy of faith. Now, what does that mean? What's the analogy of faith? Scripture interprets Scripture, right? Scripture interprets Scripture. So if this were just some standalone phrase here, I might question it myself. I really might. But it doesn't stand alone, does it? I believe Jesus went through great to great lengths in John to say, you cannot lose your salvation once you're in me. I believe he went to great lengths to say that. Here's, here's a couple right here. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That seems to me like he's going to great lengths to say that if you're in me, you can't be out of me. John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. John 10, 28, 9. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So here, written, again, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at the hand of of the Apostle John, we see three examples of the fact of if you are in Christ, he will keep you to the end. Okay? We could probably go on on that, but... Prove. Right. Yeah. Right. It is a warning. That's right. Those. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Anybody take issue with this? Good. We're moving on. 
Good. All right. So every branch that does not bear fruit in me might be a better rendering of this. Uh, At least Matthew Henry said that. He said, every branch that does not bear fruit in me, he takes away. So we're going with that. We're going with that. So if you are one of the Lord's, a branch having been grafted into the true vine and united with Jesus Christ, what will you do? You will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. That is our position uh, as branches. So we need this new character that Jesus gives us. We need those fruits, don't we? Even the ones that we mentioned from Galatians 6, love, joy, peace, patience, etc., etc., that we may endure to the end. That we may endure to the end. So those are who the branches are. Those are those who bear fruit as a new creation, being conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. Anybody have a question, comment? Yes. Pardon? Pruning. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's painful sometimes, for sure. Kathy? That's right. That's right. It becomes more foreign. I'm getting there. Not there yet. But yeah, absolutely. For sure. No doubt about it. Rick? Yeah, it would be a forsaking of everything that he said that he was. I'm the true vine. I am the true vine. You are the branches. All right. All right, third point. What does it mean to abide in Christ? What does it mean to abide in Christ? So we get that from uh, 15.4 through 8. I think I have time to read it. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And that's all I'm going to read for right now um, as far as this. So this is the first imperative, if you will. The first command is to abide. So what does it mean to abide? Does anybody know, have a, have a thought of what it means to abide Dwell, live, stay, continue, remain, all of these words. That's right. So to continue, to remain, to dwell. So you could, you could almost interchange that word. And, and I, John liked that word, abide. I think more than any other uh, Bible writer. I think, he, I think I counted 57 times he used the word abide. So you could interchange those words. But I actually like this better. And this is, this is a will-ism, so... Take that for what it is, I promise. But the word abide can be translated as remain united. To remain united with someone or something. So consider John 6.56. Here's another one where John talks about abiding. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now that was pretty shocking language. I do believe, to to these Old Testament Jews. But whoever remains united with Christ in his atoning work remains united with him, I think. 
So does a self-righteous person remain united with Christ and his atoning work? No, they don't. So this is Jesus saying to remain united here. 1 John 3.9, he says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So God's seed remains united in him, and he cannot continue in sin. All right, Second John, I think I put 1-9, but I don't know if that's necessary because I think there's only one chapter in there, isn't there? Isn't there? Anyway. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide or remain united in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides or remains united in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So, that's just the, the illustration that I wanted to use. The point I wanted to make is, is that we can say to abide in Christ means to remain united with him. To remain united with him. So here's another point. It's not some magical, mystical word to abide in Christ as some who believe certain doctrines of sanctification believe. Okay, To abide, and I'll just leave it at this, to abide is not a passive Thing. It's not a passive thing. To continue to dwell with Christ is an active thing. Okay? Um, I think I mentioned in my testimony one of the first theological books that I ever read was a 31 day devotional by Andrew Murray, and it was called Abide in Christ. And I, there were some good things in there, but in the end, what he would ultimately say is this is passive. To abide in Christ is just passivity. Just clear your mind of everything negative. Have victory in Christ. No, that's not what the New Testament says. That is a shortcut. Let me just say it that way. That's a shortcut to sanctification. Jesus will do it for you. That's quietism. To abide means to remain, and it requires effort. So as we abide as branches in the true vine, we must acknowledge that the vine is our source of life and strength and fruit. So the first thing we know in our close personal relationship to the vine is what? Complete and utter dependence. Jesus said, for without me, you can can do nothing. So you have no life, no strength, And no fruit in yourself. The Spirit must produce that fruit. So this is what Jesus is telling the disciples. If you go your own way, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. And you will prove yourself not to be one of mine. Now, did one of them prove that? One of them absolutely proved that. He was not... The Lord's. Judas was not the Lord's. But if you remain in me or in close personal communion, you will. What a great promise. You will bear fruit. You will bear. In fact, he says much fruit. You will bear much fruit. I am the true vine. Abide or remain or continue in me. So this is the narrow way. This is the way that Jesus has called us just from my introductory comments that This isn't easy. As Jonathan Edwards says, the way to heaven is ascending. It's uphill. This is how we deny ourselves. We take up our cross and we follow Jesus. 
This is the calling of everyone who is a true branch, who is united in the true vine. This is our calling. Okay? So this is our last point. So how do we abide? How do we abide? How do we abide? So first of all, and I wish I had two screens, and I, well, you know what? I might be able to go back here. Yeah, that's all right. That's okay. So how do we abide? Look, at, if you have your Bibles open, and if you don't, it's okay. But these are, these are five, maybe six points of how we abide from this text. And Jesus is giving the disciples the how-to. Therefore, John is giving them to us. So the first thing is to say, Jesus said, abide in me. And then what did he say? And I in you. So the first thing is to know that Jesus abides with us. Jesus abides with us. We are not on this journey alone. Okay? He abides with us. Remember this from last week? Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. He is with us. Here's one. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Man, that would make a good song. How about this one? To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the first way we abide is we know that Christ is with us, okay? The second way that I believe this text tells us to abide, to continue with Christ, is that we must humble ourselves. We must humble ourselves. Abide in me, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, how many of you do not raise your hands? How many of you struggle with self-confidence. You struggle with an overconfidence in yourself. That is, that is this brother in Christ right here. So if you ever want to ask me a question, how you doing, Will? Are you abiding in Christ or are you abiding in Will? That would be a good question. Okay? I struggle with that overconfidence. But Jesus, when he preached his, I guess you could say, his first recorded sermon, the very first words out of his mouth were, blessed are the the poor in spirit. Theirs are the kingdom. Those who are bankrupt, they offer nothing. They have nothing, they are nothing, and they can do nothing. That's the ones who are blessed, blessed. Those are the ones who are in the kingdom. How about this? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to those who are humble. And here's one. You remember when Paul was struggling with that thorn in his flesh and, and he asked God three times to take it away? Here's, here's what God's answer was. My power is made perfect in weakness. This right here. Us down, him up. So that's the second way that we abide. We know that apart from him, we can do nothing. Okay, third point is obedience to the word of Christ. Obedience to the word of Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. 
and my words abide in you. So my words are the words that he is giving them now. He's giving them words in real time, wasn't he? If you abide in these words, these have been written down for our benefit as well, right? So if we abide in those, he is asking them to continue in them in faith and obedience. You want simplicity in the Christian life? You, you want to take all these high truths that we're saying? How about faith and obedience? You can sum it up that way. Faith and obedience. So the word of Christ now is not his direct spoken word, right? He's not directly speaking to any of us, is he? Better not be. No, I'm kidding. Um, But he has given us the scriptures. And Colossians is a great reminder of this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you abide in Christ? You abide in his word. The fourth thing we see is prayer. Prayer. Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you, as Jesus said in verse 7. Boy, that gives us uh, some freedom there, doesn't it? We can ask Jesus whatever we wish. Well, no, not exactly. If we're abiding in him humbly, dependently, yes, then we can ask him. And you know what? Our wills are going to be more conformed to his will. And whatever we're asking him, we are going to be more in line with what he desires, what his will is. So we can ask whatever we wish as we are abiding in Christ so ask, seek, knock, Luke 11. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5. Remember the parable of the persistent widow? That is a, a great incentive for us to pray. And I will say this, how dependent you are upon Christ and abiding in him, your prayer life is a direct reflection of that. Your prayer life is a direct reflection of how dependent you are on Jesus Christ. But what a great promise. Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Abiding in the love of Christ is the fifth point. So keep his commandments. And this is, in my opinion, the greatest of the to-do, to abide in his love. Why? Because what is the greatest commandment? That we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We love because he first loved us. It's the greatest commandment. 1 John 2, 3 and 4 says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So how do we know we love Christ? How do we know we're abiding in his love? We obey him. Faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Galatians 2.20. For the sake of time, we we won't read that. But that's a a great um, illustration of our union with Christ. Abiding in his love. Abiding in his love. So lastly, the last point here is Jesus is telling them, it's not what you think, right? It's not what you think. I'm not coming to be enthroned like this. It's going to be hard. But continue with me. Abide in me. Abide in me. So these things that I have spoken to you, verse 11, this is my last point. 
These things that I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. So even though it's really, really hard living the Christian life, there's a lot of joy. Our joy can be full even as we move toward heaven in an upward way. Now, did the disciples understand this and know this? Did they? Yes, they did. And here's where I'm going to go. Okay, Acts 5.41. Remember, they had just been taken in captive and they had been beaten. And as they were coming out, this is what they said. They said, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So they had joy. And they, I think they understood, as we see here in this early church, that abiding in Christ produces joy. It wasn't going to be easy. It was going to be very hard. But I think they understood it. Do you? Do you? Do I? Do we? That's the question I'll close with. Questions or comments? Can you save it till after I pray? Okay, we're going to pray. Father, we thank you for your living and abiding word. We thank you for Christ who who trekked down the path before us. God, we know that the, the Christian life is not an easy one, but what a glorious promise that if we abide in him, he abides in us. We have such a great hope in Christ Jesus. Help us to fix our eyes upon him. Help us, God, to rejoice in trials and in struggles and know that these are conforming us more to your image. Help us to not have these great idols, and it's very difficult, of ease and comfort in our Christian lives. Help us to roll up our sleeves and to accept that which comes before us, knowing that by this you are glorified and you have provided us all of the help we need by the true vine, Christ Jesus himself. We pray this in his name. Amen.